Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, November 9th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The Lord shows Ezekiel a valley full of dry bones. Can these bones live? The Lord will show his prophet and his people that he can restore life out of death by the power of his spirit. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, blessed are you among men. You have gotten the text that everyone has been waiting for, Ezekiel 37, 1-14. Amen. So, Pastor Ulmer, what, what's the big deal with this text? Let, we'll talk context and all that, but why, why does this text stand out so, so highly throughout the, in the book of Ezekiel? Yeah, I think that this text stands out so much for a couple of reasons. Number one is probably the, the best and most important, that in just about every single word of this prophecy— it just drips with uh, the gospel of God, God coming and saving his people. And um, this image is just so wonderful and reassuring. It also is a, at least a, a piece of the, the story of what resurrection is. Uh, so that's one reason why it, it's very, uh, very lovely. Another reason why I think it's lovely is because it is such a fun story, if if that would be the right way of uh, talking about it. It's a very visual story, so I think people uh, who generally like stories can relate to it a lot, because you have these characters, and you have this scene, a very visual scene, and you have things happening, and you have re- reanimation, and it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful story in that respect. And I think the final reason why it's such a beloved chapter. Is It's a, one of those passages from Ezekiel that's actually in our lectionary, and at least when I was a child growing up in the LCMS, it was one of the stories that was in those uh, very, very famous CPH uh, Sunday school pamphlets that many of us grew up in. And it was one of those stories from Ezekiel that we uh, learned up growing and singing all sorts of Sunday school and camp-like songs about it. So it's just one of those texts that kind of meets all all of the boxes for an interesting text from Scripture. We have a lot of gospel, we have a very visual story, and it also uh, reminds us of learning in Sunday school and hearing in our lectionary. I, I think that would be my, my three reasons why it's so beloved. Uh, and as we read it, I think it's going to be familiar to many of us, again, for those reasons, the beautiful imagery that we've got here. Of course, sometimes we take a text like this and we remove it from its context. And maybe this is, for some Christians, this may be the only part of Ezekiel that they really know. 
we've been reading through Ezekiel for quite some time now here on Sharp Iron. We're not done yet. We, we've got several chapters yet to go. So let's try to put this text in its context, Pastor Ulmer. What's Ezekiel been doing leading up to chapter 37 that really we do need to know to properly understand this image and how the Lord makes use of it through the prophet? Yeah, so the last time that I was actually on the, the program and spoke with you, I believe we were talking in Ezekiel 3, and all the way back then, kind of the, the grand context of Ezekiel is Ezekiel is of, of the priestly class, and he is part of the group that gets exiled into Babylon. And Ezekiel's job is to be a prophet, to speak God's word to God's people who are exiled in Babylon. Now, in the beginning part of Ezekiel, as I'm sure that you went over with all of your wonderful guests, a lot of those words were against the people of Israel. These were uh, prophecies spoken uh, against them and their actions and their idolatry, uh, explaining uh, why God allowed the Babylonians to rise up to power and to exile them as punishment for their uh, sin. Now, once you get to a certain point in the book of Ezekiel, kind of starting around Ezekiel 32 and 33, you kind of have a transition where Ezekiel is still called to prophesy and speak for, for God uh, to his people, but the prophecies end up going more against the nations than they do against the people of Israel. And from kind of 32, 33 on, uh, which where we're at in Ezekiel 37, the, the disposition of God towards the people of Israel is a lot more uh, positive. There's a lot more hope. There's a lot more talk of restoration. And I think, as, as we kind of mentioned earlier, this, this uh, image of the Valley of Dry Bones is one of those kind of pinnacle moments in speaking of hope and restoration to the people who have been exiled because of their sin. Yeah, since the last time we spoke, which I think you're right, it was chapter 3, there's been quite a bit that's happened in Ezekiel's ministry and life, and and notably that turning point that did come in chapter 33, where news reaches Ezekiel and the exiles there in Babylon that Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar. And that really is the, the turning point where Ezekiel's ministry does turn to this consolation, the comfort of the gospel, where all of the, the judgment of God has been poured out on his people. Now he turns to comfort them with his promises. And in this text, one of the most vivid images we have of that comfort, of that restoration, is going to be dry, dead bones being raised to life. And so, I mean, if you think about where these exiles are, what they've heard, what they've been through, this text is going to be a great comfort to them there in exile, and it's going to be a great comfort to us living in our exile, as, as we know, you know, St. Peter says in his epistle, he calls us exiles. And so lots of beautiful imagery here, lots of connections that we're going to be able to make from this text to our lives as Christians today. Any more way of introduction, pre pre cursor material that we need before we jump into these 14 verses today. I think that's about it. All right, let's do it. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them 
And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. That's our text for today. That's Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. So, Pastor Ulmer, Ezekiel all along has been a very visual prophet. He's had some things, quite literally, the Lord gave him something to do, something to make with his hands, something to do with his whole lifestyle. We've, we've seen a lot of that. I think you and I talked about how the, the his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth for a time, and he couldn't speak yeah. unless, unless he had, was given a specific word by the Lord to speak. So the, to hear a, a very visual prophecy from Ezekiel is no surprise to us this far along. In terms of this one, and I'm, I'm not sure that it's in the text one way or another, should we understand, you know, when it says that he, the Lord, brought me, Ezekiel, and set me down in the middle of this valley full of bones, is this a, a vision? Did the Lord quite literally take him to a valley that was full of these dry bones? And Can we say one way or another? What do you think? Well, I'll be honest in answering that question for you, Pastor Apple. I, in anything that I read and understood about this particular text, I, I don't know if there's anything that would tell us exactly what's going on, but I do think that what's important is whether this was a vision or a dream or the Lord actually takes him to a valley full of dry bones. I think that the important part of this story is the image that God shows Ezekiel, because this image is shown to Ezekiel uh, so that later on in in this text, God can uh, tell Ezekiel what he is to tell to the people, and Ezekiel will be able to at least uh, 
pull from his experience of this valley of dry bones image and and use it to comfort and assure the people that he has called to speak to. So again, I, I'm not sure that we can say one way or the other, but the purpose in God being visual is very similar in what he has done before, in that he gives Ezekiel this image that is meant to paint that picture in the people's minds that is then given to preach the gospel to these people who need it there in exile. In, in that way, I don't know, maybe is a comparing it to a parable in that sense? Is that perhaps another way we could think about this? I I think that they would they would uh serve very similar uh functions, if if that makes sense. They they kind of do the same thing. They connect God's promise to kind of a, a tangible example, not not unlike we might talk in the Lutheran Church kind of about the physical nature of the sacraments. Why does God connect his promises to to something that exists? Well, we would say he connects his promise to something that exists so that we can uh, experience it. In, in this way, God is promising restoration, and through this vision, Ezekiel is getting to experience it so he can give it to the people. And even as I'm thinking about this now, I'm just kind of thinking through this on my own mind. I'm not sure. Parable, there's some connections, but I hesitate to use it too closely because the way that the text speaks, particularly in verses 13 and 14, where the Lord talks about raising people from their graves— there's going to be a connection there, I think, very literally to the resurrection of the dead, which is no parable, but something that the Lord quite literally does in history. So I guess my, as I'm thinking through this with you, I want to be careful with that language of parable so that we don't take it too far, because we do know that resurrection, that's quite literally our hope on the last day. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'll, I'll just be, uh, I'll be clear too. I, I wouldn't say that this is a text that we would consider like in the same realm as a sacrament, but kind of does have that quality where God attaches his promise to something that is experienced. Mm. Sure. He's, he's making use of an image to get a point across first concerning the return from exile. And we'll talk about that as we get toward the, the end of the text, the restoration of the people. But then also this image, as it turns out, is something that God quite literally does in bringing yeah. dry, dead bones back to life on the last day. And so we've got, a, I mean, a couple of, of different things going on there in that sense. Let's talk about the image that the Lord gives to Ezekiel. He, he takes Ezekiel to the middle of this valley, and Ezekiel gives us several details about it. The, the valley's full of bones. There's lots of them, and they're dry. What, in those details, what is being communicated to the prophet? Yeah, I think all of these details are spectacular and they're important. I mean, first you you have this this valley and it's full of bones, which is going to communicate to Ezekiel, to his audience, and to us that they are in an arena of death. So there had been some event, uh, whether it was plague, famine, or war, what caused these people to die. They were in a place of death. They were in a, a graveyard, and that graveyard um, probably was uh, one that whatever caused this death, it, it came hastily and in judgment because these bones being strewn about uh, these bodies were buried in a very atypical uh, 
not very respected way. They were buried in a way that no good uh, Israelite would would bury for their friends and family. Um, this would be like a, an army coming through uh, who who were fighting the war because a covenant or a treaty was broken, and this kind of desecration of the of the people that died was a part of the message being sent. Hey, you crossed us. Look what we did to you. Uh, the very, very many, I mean, speaks to that. This was not some small kind of uh, issue. Many, many people were out there in this valley, and many people lost their lives because of something that happened. And the final um, uh, detail that's probably the most significant in this story, at least in my opinion, is that they were very dry. This speaks to the fact that these uh, people who died out there in that valley, these weren't uh, freshly slain people. These were uh, corp. These were uh, piles of bones that were very dry. The the skin, the the muscle, the sinews had all long decomposed and went away. And even all the moisture that kind of comes from the very center of the marrow of the bones was gone. These were kind of dusty, dry, rattly bones that in no way could ever have life in them. So this is a, a really vivid picture, dead, dry bones, lots of them. This isn't, Ezekiel is not given to think that this is some sort of accidental thing, but this is, as, as you said, a, probably some sort of army has come through, wiped out population, and has treated the dead with complete disrespect, no honor in their burial, thrown into this valley, this valley, and it's happened a really, really long time ago because they're dry bones. And, I mean, so I mean, and notice I've I've got this in my in my text here in front of me. You know, behold, behold, the the Hebrew word there. It, this happens in Greek as well, both in Hebrew and Greek. When you see that word, behold, like pay attention, take a look at this. And so Ezekiel is is giving is given this picture, and then in writing gives this picture to us of just a, a complete arena of death. It, there's there's no life in here. Maybe I mean imagine I guess in our in our the thing that comes to mind is Death Valley, but imagine it full of dry bones. That's that's kind of yeah. the picture here. Well, yeah, and I mean with the dry bones, e- even in full disrespect, there's there's no life here at all. I mean, there's not even anything for for the buzzards and the other carrion mm-hmm. eaters to pick on anymore. It's yeah. just dry bones. Right. Okay. So absolutely no life here whatsoever. And that's what Ezekiel is looking at. And now the Lord asks Ezekiel a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel answers, O Lord God, you know. Take us into this brief interaction between the Lord and the prophet. Yeah. So right here is the the first crux in this text, right? Because as we've discussed at length here, we're dealing with bones that have no life in them. And it is made obvious to Ezekiel that there's no life in them. There's no moisture, there's no muscles, there's no organs, there's nothing. And God asks Ezekiel if these bones can live. And the amazing part about this text, at least in my opinion, is that Ezekiel doesn't immediately answer back with the obvious answer, which I think um, God is kind of presupposing here that anybody with any sense, any experience in the world would just flat out say, 
No, it is impossible for these bones to live because there's no component of life left in them. They can't live. But that's not what Ezekiel says. So the the obvious answer, son of man, can these bones live? No way. That that would be the obvious exactly. answer. Of course not. What are you talking about? These are dead, dry bones treated with the greatest disrespect. How could they possibly live? There's not a sign of life here at all. That's the obvious answer, but it's not the answer that Ezekiel gives. He says, oh, Lord God, you know, which I, I guess then if, if that's if you didn't give what you and I were saying, the obvious answer is this sounds like it's going to be more of an answer of, of faith, even if he doesn't come out yeah. and say yes. Yeah, I I think it is, and this this answer I think is a wonderful answer given by Ezekiel of faith, and it kind of clues uh, us the the readers and maybe the Israelites and the hearers of of reminding people that God is the one who does make impossible things possible. I mean, at the beginning of time, if if there was an audience there and and was there to witness the vast nothingness of creation. And God said, is it possible for something to exist? Mm. In the same way, I think the answer would be obviously not. But what does God do? He he says, let there be light, and light is. And we just recently had in uh, our, our lectionary uh, a couple weeks ago, Jesus's interaction with the rich young man, in Mark 10, and then his teaching to the disciples after the rich man went away empty, and Jesus asks the question, hey, uh, how, how, uh, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God, and how hard it will be for rich people to enter in the kingdom of God, and at, at Jesus's uh, statements, his disciples kind of utter, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus famously, famously says, with man, uh, it's impossible but with God, all things are possible. So this is kind of the kind of the situation that God is setting up for Ezekiel here. That Ezekiel, by faith, declares that that God knows if something is possible, knowing that God does the impossible, and God's about to show him what's possible. This interaction between the Lord and Ezekiel, just in terms of the way that it's phrased. And I think this is I think we can connect this to what you're talking about in terms of what seems impossible for man is or what is impossible for man is possible for God. The way the interaction is is given here reminds me of Revelation chapter seven, where Saint John sees that countless multitude are gathered around the throne and the Lamb. And what and it's not between John and the Lord, it's between John and one of the elders. But one of the elders asks John who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And John's response is, sir, you know. And, and if I, and I, I don't know, you tell me what you think about this, Pastor Ronald, but if I connect the two interactions, it's almost as if John is saying, well, in my estimation, it would seem impossible that there's this many people who are in eternal life, because I know they're all sinners. Yeah. But but I know that it it is possible. And so, you you tell me the answer because I, I know that what is impossible for man is possible for God. What what do you think? Yeah, and I mean I, I really like I really like that connection and you saying that just kind of also reminded me of of a text that we recently had in our pericope that I preached on and that's the scene in Mark where 
when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, his disciples tried to heal the son, the demon-possessed son of the man, and they were unable to. And Jesus goes through the whole process, and the man says, Lord, if you're able to do anything, help me. And Jesus responds, if I'm able, anything is possible for the one who believes. And the man cries out, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You kind of get that same feeling of, of believing something is possible in in the presence of God, but not fully understanding how uh, that possibility will come into reality. Mm. And, and then and taking us to Mark's gospel like that, I mean, it reminds me then of how Jesus will pray in the Garden of Gethsemane to his Father, all things are possible for you, and then he, he prays about his own suffering and death. You know, if it's your will, take this cup, but not what I will yours be done. And I mean, I think that that connects us too to this whole theme of impossibility with man, possibility with God, being so much richer and so much more important than saying, you know, it's possible for God to give me a million dollars. That seems really crass, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about yeah. the impossibility of our salvation based on our own merits, works, or anything we have, but the complete possibility of our salvation in God, who he is, and what he's done through his son. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, Pastor Ulmer, I think we'll go ahead and take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We are talking about Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14 this morning with Pastor Matt Ulmer. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, November 9th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were speaking about the interaction between the Lord and Ezekiel. Can these bones live? Ezekiel does not give the answer, no way puts it back in the Lord's hands. To man, it seems impossible, but for God, it is possible. Oh, Lord God, you know. So in verse 4, the Lord continues to speak to Ezekiel. says, prophesy to these bones. Take us into what the Lord gives Ezekiel to do. Yeah, so this, like, I know I'm probably going to say this a bunch in our conversation, but this is just so excellent. Because when Ezekiel responds in faith towards God, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy. And as I, I teach the people that I serve here, when, when you have a prophet, when you have a prophecy, this is God using a human being to speak his words. So the, the mechanism that God is going to use to show Ezekiel what he is doing is by means of his word. And how often does God do this, where 
he he uses his word which is powerful and mighty to accomplish his purpose and when he has this sea of of dry dead uh, bones how is he going to fix a situation he is going to speak his word and something is going to happen so i think you asked the question how often does he do that and the answer is all the time <laughs> that was probably yeah, all the, yeah that's the point all the time <laughs> that's right you it was probably rhetorical but just to be clear this is how the <laughs> lord works all the time he he uses his word and it's what a what a striking thing that the lord gives ezekiel to do you know oh lord god you know this seems impossible to me but lord it's possible for you and, and so what does the Lord tell Ezekiel? He says, okay, I want you to talk, talk. to these bones. <laughs> talk <laughs> yeah, to these talk. dry what, bones. What are you going to do, talk? Yeah. And, but what, a, I mean, what a task. You know, it's not, yeah. don't, it's not go, like, remember your biology class from high school, Ezekiel, and the knee bone connects to the hip bone and hip so bone. forth. You, yeah, right? That's the song <laughs> that I think you were mentioning earlier. This, this song yeah. shows up. So, but that's not what he's given to do. He's not given to get down there with his hands and to actually start putting bone back to bone, but it is the word of the Lord that is to put these bones back together. And, and what a, I mean, on the surface, at least, what a strange thing, because these are dead, dry bones. You're going to talk to them. Well, dead bones shouldn't be able to hear anything, but that's how powerful the word of the Lord is. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, that's kind of the point where uh, when God speaks, creation has to listen. Even something that do- doesn't have ears, that isn't alive, bones, when, when God's Word's spoken to them, they are going to hear and they are going to obey. Yeah, I mean, that, and again, that's the the power of God's word, and to you know, kind of what we we're talking about earlier, how this is going to be a picture of the restoration of the people, but it's also going to reveal what the Lord God does literally for dead people. I mean, just this scene of Ezekiel standing in front of this valley of dry bones and saying to them what the Lord gives to say. I mean, it reminds me a lot of what Jesus does outside the tomb of Lazarus, who is granted not yeah. dry bones, but he's been dead for days. And what does Jesus do? He talks to Lazarus, and Lazarus, miraculously, in the fullest sense of that word, he listens and he does what the word says. Yeah, the, the corpse the corpse listened, the stinking, rotting corpse listened and came out of the tomb with the grave claws still attached. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an amazing picture. And I think if, if we can connect it once more to the New Testament, I'm reminded of St. Of Paul in Ephesians 2, where he, he tells the Ephesian church, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But, but what happened? Well, the Lord spoke to you, and he made you alive, and it's by that grace you've been saved. I mean, this is a, again, this, and I think this is part of the beloved nature of this text, is this picture is applied in so many places in Scripture, even to you and to me, in our in our death and sins, how the Lord has made us alive, again, by his word. Absolutely. So, Pastor Ulmer, the Lord tells Ezekiel, here's what I want you to say, thus says the Lord God to these bones, and then he, he lays out what he's going to do. Take us into the, the step-by-step process that the Lord describes as Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. Yeah, so God says that Ezekiel is to speak to the bones, and when he speaks to the bones, God is going to, to cause them to come alive again. He's going to come cause them to come alive again in this way. He's going to put sinews back upon them. He's going to cause flesh to come upon them. He's going to cover them with skin. He's going to put breath in them, and when this happens, 
um, they're going to live again. And when they become alive, when, when Ezekiel sees them stand up, uh, breathing, uh, watching their chests go in and out because they have that breath of life, um, when he sees that, uh, he is to know that, that God is the Lord and that he has uh, accomplished this task. Well, and, and there you have that phrase at the end of verse 6, you shall know that I am the Lord, which is, I mean, we've heard this phrase over and over again in Ezekiel, and it's quite striking to see it here, because so often in those first 24 chapters of the book, as you were talking about earlier, Pastor Ulmer, that section of judgment, how often did we see that it was, you're going to know that I'm the Lord in the judgment that I'm bringing. And now here's that phrase again, well, yes, you knew that I was the Lord because I brought judgment upon you, but now you're going to know the Lord even more so because I'm the one bringing life to you out of that death. Yes. So fan- fantastic. I mean, it's just, I love how God's Word does this, where where there's these connections like that that we can make just in, in the one book. Again, putting this text, a beloved text, into its context and seeing it in all its richness. So verse 7 Ezekiel prophesies as he was commanded. This shouldn't surprise us. Ezekiel's been a faithful prophet all along. We get a few more of those behold, pay attention words here as the, the picture becomes even more vivid. What what happens when Ezekiel prophesies? Yeah, so in in this section here, it, I, I think it's very clear that the Word of God is what is preeminent here. Mm. Ezekiel speaks God's Word, and... God's Word does exactly what God says it will do. I mean, you get an instance here where um, it it doesn't even seem like Ezekiel is talking at all, like what his his presence isn't of any particular uh, relevance. He's speaking God's Word, and God's Word is what it works, because when while he is talking, you hear another sound in, in the background, and that sound is rattling bones who are making their their way to the body to which they belong, and they're coming together end to end, bone to its bone. And then after this happens, while, while Ezekiel is prophesying to this graveyard, um, sinews come on the bones just like uh, God said it would, so those bones are going to be attached again. Then flesh comes upon them over over those bones and over those sinews, so they have muscles to move uh, those those bones. And then skin goes uh, upon them, so that um, when the word of God works, you have a full human body uh, who is there uh, before them. But there's still one more problem, and we'll get to that in a second. I mean, the the imagery here in verses seven through eight especially when you put it by side by side with the way the text began, you had this completely lifeless place, dry bones. Suddenly, life is starting here, and, and it it's starting because the word of the Lord has entered. And, and as, as you said, the fact that it is, you know, th- the presence of Ezekiel there, he's certainly present, he's the one doing it, but it is the emphasis here on the word of the Lord being spoken, and that's what causes the rattling, the bones coming together. And I mean, it's like decomposition in reverse. Uh, you know, yeah. You, you know, the, the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where they open the Ark of the Covenant and the, right? That's, or is that, which one? Yeah, that's the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where where they open the Ark and the, their skin just melts off them. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. So it's almost like that happening in reverse. 
yeah. yeah. That's a biblical movie, so it's it's okay to reference that, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, it's just such a vivid picture here of of that decomposition happening completely in reverse. Life is being brought out of nothing. The total deadness yeah. of this valley is suddenly alive, except in verse verse 8 and then into verse 9, there's no breath in them yet. And so now Ezekiel is given more to prophesy, now to prophesy to the breath. Take us into this. Yeah, so so what we have here is this this mighty army that if, if you want to kind of look at it uh, in terms of other stories in Scripture, you have, um, like in Genesis 2, when God forms Adam, uh, the ground, you have this body here, but doesn't have life in it. And in order to fix that problem in, in Adam's case, God breathes into him the Ruach, the breath of life. In this case, um, to do kind of the same function, uh, God tells uh, Ezekiel to speak again, to prophesy to the breath, to, to prophesy to the four winds for that Ruach, that spirit to enter them. And when Ezekiel does what God commands, when Ezekiel speaks the word of the Lord, uh, the breath, the spirit obeys and comes into the people. And when that breath enters them, uh, then body and spirit are are kind of reunited into people and become alive as a great army. Talk more about this prophesy to the breath or the wind or the spirit. I think you, you've kind of touched on this a little bit in the way you were speaking, the Hebrew word ruach, which is the same thing happens with the word pneuma in Greek, depending on context, can mean you know, wind, breath, but it's also the word that gets used for spirit, the Holy Spirit, in, in the right context. Is there, in terms of Ezekiel prophesying, as the ESV translates it, to the breath, are, are we also to think more, you know, prophesy, prophesy to the Spirit, tell, tell the Holy Spirit something, or is that saying too much? I... I mean, I'm not going to claim to be an absolute expert on Ezekiel, but I think it kind of does serve both purposes, as we're going to get to here in a little bit, because I, I think that this this image that is playing out is going to, to speak to at least two levels of restoration. Number one, you you have this physical restoration, which is going to be uh, in itself twofold. Israel being restored to its rightful place, to be brought out of exile, to be brought back into its land, and in a way you can say that they were moved from death to life as they received back uh, their their place in in God's covenant. But at the same time, speaking to the Spirit as well, that there there is at least a hint of spiritual restoration here, too. And one of the things that happens when the people go back to their land and go back home, what's one of the very, very first important things that the people do? They reestablish the, the worship life in the temple. Mm. So you, you have kind of this image where I, I, I think that it can be said it's kind of both. Speak to the the ruach that that breath of life, and speak to the spirit, uh, which will kind of reignite in them the 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 faith that they had been given by God. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a, a double nuance with that word here, that it's it's quite appropriate that the word can can have that full range of meaning and that Ezekiel brings all of it to bear in terms of the, the actual scene he's seeing. It is breath entering into human bodies so that their, you know, their chest begins to rise and fall again, as you were saying. But in terms of the larger way that this text is going to be preached to the people and applied to us today, there is that aspect that who is it that gives us real life? It is the Holy Spirit, the one who comes to us through the Word of God. I mean, you know, we're talking about the power of the Word earlier. Notice how intimately connected here the Spirit is with the Word. That's another theme that runs throughout the Scriptures, and we're seeing it here in Ezekiel 37. So into, into verse 11, then, that's where now the Lord is going to—Ezekiel's seen the image, and now the Lord's going to give Ezekiel to preach based on what he's seen. So take us into the way Ezekiel is to proclaim this to the people of Israel. Yeah, so here, towards the end of this uh, passage, God interprets this scene to Ezekiel. He tells Ezekiel what this means and what he is to do with it. God now tells Ezekiel that this army that he sees, this group of people who were dead and dry bones, are now a, a nation, they're an army, and that nation and army is the people of Israel. Um, they are alive. Now, the reason why this is important is because, as you mentioned earlier, at this point in Ezekiel, the people have heard about the, the fall and the defeat of Jerusalem. And this was kind of the, the last shining bastion, the, the hope oh, we might be okay as long as Jerusalem doesn't fall. Well, guess what, guys? Jerusalem fell. It's over. You lost. You're dead. You're exiled. And because of this, the people apparently had an immense amount of grief, which is natural when you lose something that you love. But they also, in that grief, lost all kinds of hope. They they felt like they were completely abandoned by God, that they had no future, and and in this image, God is going to send Ezekiel to them and tell them, hey guys, you do have a future. God has something planned for you, and that plan is going to be life. Uh, just believe. So, I mean, you know, I think you and I spoke about one chapter in the book of Lamentations previously. If you If you want to get a picture of, or a sense of, what the fall of Jerusalem meant for the people of Israel. Read the book of Lamentations. It's five chapters yeah. long, and, and you will see just how hard that hit them. That's not even a, a descriptive enough adjective to use. Read the book of Lamentations as a reminder. When when they say here in Ezekiel 37, 11, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. That was what the fall of Jerusalem did to the people who were there in Jerusalem who survived, and for the exiles like Ezekiel who had already been carried away, now having heard that news, it just made, to use the, the image here, it sucked the life out of them. And that's yeah. what they're telling the Lord. And so in the first sense then, Ezekiel 37 is about that, the death that the Lord is describing and the restoration that he's describing has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile and the return from exile. And so, I mean, we don't want to we don't want to miss that, I suppose, that, that the Lord is promising something very real in history 
to these people about bringing them back to their homeland? Yeah, I, I think as you were getting to uh, throughout this uh, talk, this is kind of that putting it in its kind of historical and proper first level context that these that this image and these words of God are spoken to people who who do not believe that there's any hope for them. And God is saying, no, there is hope, and that hope is me in my word. Uh, hear it and believe. So again, that's the for the people there in exile, there's hope. I mean, think and I, the way you were talking, and maybe maybe you were doing this on purpose, sounded an awful lot like the way Jeremiah writes his letter in Jeremiah 29 to the exiles about, you know, I know the plans I have for you. The Lord declares plans yes. to give you a future. It's a, a very similar message that Jeremiah has there for the exiles that Ezekiel is giving to the exiles here with them in chapter 37. Yeah, and I mean that, at least I in my own spiritual journey, see and understand that message uh, kind of permeating throughout history because there's so many uh, times and situations in people's lives, in my own life, where things really seem bleak and dark and it seems like there's no hope. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that we have a God who makes impossible things possible. Even when we don't think that there's hope, he has said, I, I have a future, I have a plan, um, no matter what's going on in your life, as long as you stay with me, there is going to be something in the future for you, and that future is going to be life. Well, and, and that's where this text just speak beyond what the people of Judah and Jerusalem experienced there in the 500s BC, and, and speaks to our lives as Christians today. You mentioned that this text shows up in the lectionary several times. Now, I don't, I'd be happy to hear what, what associations you have with it for in, in my life as a pastor particularly, I associate this text most closely with Pentecost. One of the years in the, the three-year lectionary, this is a, a reading for Pentecost Day. And I, I think, you know, as, as we were talking earlier, you know, here you've got Ezekiel, son of man, told to prophesy to the breath so that it would go and give the people life. On the day of Pentecost, you've got Jesus, son of man, who sends his spirit to breathe life into his church. I mean, it, which is a, a beautiful connection, I think. In terms of some of those yeah. New Testament connections, where where do you associate this? How do you see this fulfilled in the New Testament? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really associate that there, and uh, especially with um, speaking to the, the Spirit, associating with John 20, when Jesus ah, yes. shows up in the upper room with his disciples, and what does he do? He speaks to them, and he breathes on them and gives them the Spirit, Right. And, and with that giving of the Spirit, he, he gives the, the apostles, and, and therefore he gives the church the, the office of the keys. When you forgive people their sins, they're forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And when you retain those sins, they are retained um, in order to bring people to repentance. At least for me, that's a huge, huge connection to um, this Ezekiel 37 text. Yeah, I, th I think so. Wherever you see Jesus as the one giving, sending the Spirit, we, we should be reminded of how Ezekiel—and and again, it's, it's not so much about Ezekiel, but about the Word that Ezekiel's given, and we know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God. So to, to connect those texts, I think, seems entirely appropriate, and that's a way that, again, this text, Ezekiel 37, 
is is given to you and to me in our despair right now. You know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. These these enemies yeah. have attacked you and left you for dead on the side of the road. But the Lord is the one who raises from the dead, and he does it through his word. And that's something I mean, that happens right here and right now in this life. And, and that's great hope in, the, in times of despair. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that with that said, I, I think there's also a pretty good connection to the story told in Revelation with the two witnesses, because I, I think it speaks to the power of the word of God. I think it speaks to the despair that some people might be ex, uh, experiencing in the church as to the world's hostility towards the Word of God, and it speaks towards uh, God speaking and uh, His witnesses, His church, uh, rising from the grave, just like their Lord and Savior did on the third day. If you would, Pastor Ulmer, you, you mentioned the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, which I think is a less familiar text from the Scriptures. Can you give a, a brief synopsis of that text and how it connects to Ezekiel 37? Yeah, so so the two witnesses text is in Revelation 11, and pardon my, my paraphrase, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very quickly paraphrase it. You have these two characters, uh, because anything spoken has to be uh, also spoken by another witness. So I think that's uh, John's way, God's way through John of of saying that the, the witness being given by these two people is is the truth. Now, the deal with the, the two witnesses is that by this point in the book of Revelation, they are the last two voices speaking the truth, speaking to kind of the depravity of humanity and to the at least worldly, outwardly visible decline of the church. But the thing about these two witnesses is they, they go through their life and they faithfully preach God's word, and the world hates them for it, and the world does everything it can to make their lives miserable, and in this story, eventually, the world is successful in killing them. The world kills the two witnesses, that the powers of sin, death, and the devil, they think that they've won against God's church, and they even throw a party over their corpses. But that's not where the story ends, because there would be hopelessness. What John sees is that after three days uh, those two witnesses come back to life as a testimony that uh, death and hell will not prevail against uh, the gates of the church, that uh, death for God is not an obstacle that um, is a problem, and that there's always hope for those who remain faithful and put their faith, love, and trust in God above all things. Right, because he is the one who has raised his son from the grave so that that is the hope of all who are in his son as well for you and for me. And, and that's where, again, this, I mean, this text has something to say to the exiles in Babylon in Ezekiel 37. It's got something to say to the people of God, the church of God today in the death of our sins being raised to life. And, and it also has something to say to literally the people who have died in Christ already, that, that death yeah. is not the last word but that the day will come when the picture that Ezekiel sees here is not just a picture or a vision, but it's quite literally, was it John chapter 5, where the Son of Man speaks, that those in their graves hear, and those who are yeah. in Christ come to eternal life. And this picture will quite literally happen, and it will be a glorious day. That's the day I am waiting for 
uh, with all of my hope and strength when I pray every night before I go to bed, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's right. Yeah, we, we were hoping he was going to come before our conversation ended. He still has a few <laughs> minutes left, Pastor Ulmer. Yeah. The, the Lord may return yet. These we got about two minutes here to, to finish our study on Ezekiel 37 as you reflect on this wonderful text, well known. Again, help us to, to see what it has to say to us and especially how it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for us. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd encourage anybody who, who hears this program to reread all of Ezekiel, and especially read Ezekiel 37, as it is a wonderful, wonderful text of gospel that we can uh, use to, to comfort us and to sustain us in this uh, world. Ezekiel sees a, a valley full of very dry bones where there's no life, and at God's word, these bones come back to life as a promised that God would restore his people, Israel, to their rightful homeland, that he would give them an opportunity to worship him uh, in their ancestral homeland, that the land that was promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also that uh, even though we, we as a people might uh, face death and face all sorts of pains and persecutions, that as long as we are... Uh, holding on to God's word that no matter what happens to us in this life, our, our future is going to be like those bones in the valley, that they're going to come together and that we are going to live again because of what God has said and because of what Jesus has done for us, dying and rising on the third day. Pastor Matt Ulmer is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us today with Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today. It's always a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.